Hey folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on the Fat Burning Man Show, where we talk about real food and real results. Did you know that over 600,000 people die of heart disease in the U.S. every single year? Let me say that one more time. This is just in the U.S. Over 600,000 people die of heart disease. One of the leading causes of illness and heart disease specifically, of course, is carrying extra weight. So it's more important than ever to make sure that you're prioritizing your health and focusing on boosting your immune system and also getting back to your ideal weight if there's any way that you possibly can. There are many ways to get there, but uh, even more importantly than that, you need to know that you can take control, um, that no one else is going to solve your health for you, that sometimes you just have to do it. So <laughs> when I saw one of my friends from long ago in Austin do this very thing after he had a, a near-death experience and almost died from yet another heart attack, I saw this man change his diet, lose tons of weight, I'll let him tell the story, and, and completely turn his life around, including moving to a different country. So today we're here with a true survivor. He's one of my old friends from Austin, Texas, and his name is Carl Swanson. He's a man who has somehow stubbornly survived five heart attacks. He's going to tell you the story of why he's still here and what he's up to, but He's, he's lived many adventures, this Carl. I could barely believe it when I first met him. Carl is a former Army member for the 82nd Airborne Division. He's worked for Dell and CNN. He's a self-starter who has done everything from being a tour guide, owning a food cart, and even starting a cheesecake business. And, and no joke, Carl's cheesecakes are some of the best I've ever had in my entire life. You'll hear a bit about that and some of his secret cheesecake tricks on today's show. But before we get to the interview, here's a quick review that came in from Adam. He says, down 35 pounds and off my blood pressure meds thanks to this podcast and the Wild Diet book. I really like how you get different points of view. This was the first podcast I ever downloaded, and that was after the show with Sean T. Wish I had found it sooner. Thanks for everything, Adam. Well, Adam, thank you so much for the review. That's crazy to hear that this was the first podcast that you ever downloaded. But uh, yeah, of course, Shanti is a good one. But that reminds me, if you're listening or watching this show and you're not aware, <laughs> we've been doing this for a long time, coming up on 10 years now. There are more than 300 episodes. So if you came in for the Shanti episode, then presumably you've listened to the, the episode since. But there's a heck of a lot before that that will still be relevant. The way that I've recorded this show is that if people listen to it 10 years from now, hopefully, it will still be just as true and just as relevant. Of course, we learn things as, as time goes on, but also there's more misinformation as time goes on. And sometimes you have to look back when things were clearer. So going back to the interviews, the past interviews that I did in 2011, 2012, or 2015, or 2018, or even 2020, depending on when you're listening to this in the future, can be very beneficial. So don't forget, go to Fat Burning Man. Uh, dot com and load up on all the episodes of this podcast whether you want to watch the video interview we've got that for you without outside advertising all at fatburningman.com we also have the audio there for you and we have full transcripts written up of every show so whatever way you want to consume it 
if you want to boost your immune system, if you want to boost your performance and you want to enhance your recovery, these are kind of all the same thing. You have to follow the same advice and it's a very holistic approach. So don't be afraid. Go back to 2012. Listen to some of these interviews. They are still extremely relevant. So thanks again for the review, Adam. And thanks to all of the rest of you who have left reviews or told your friends about this show. It really helps and times are hard. So we appreciate every little bit of support from you folks. There are a lot of announcements coming up soon. If you would like to support this show, I don't want to spoil it yet, but there are many things in the works for this year. So be sure that you are subscribed to us everywhere you can on social media, the fatburningman.com, the newsletter, podcasts, uh, YouTube, all the rest of it. Please uh, follow and subscribe and tell your friends. And if you're in the U.S. and you'd like to support this show, and you're also looking to stock up on the very best health supplements around, then be sure to visit wildsuperfoods.com. You can get probiotics, shelf-stable fruits and veggies and superfoods, omegas, and many, many more exciting announcements coming soon. Go to wildsuperfoods.com. When you sign up for the subscribe and save, not only does every dollar help support this show, but you also get free access to our coaching community, the Fat Burning Tribe, and like I said, the best health supplements around. So be sure to go to wildsuperfoods.com. Then one more quick reminder about my new book, especially for our international friends and listeners and anyone who might be bored to tears right now, (laughs) not allowed outside. You can pick up my number one international best-selling book entitled Designer Babies Still Get Scabies. If there were ever a book to help you giggle through the apocalypse, this is it. (laughs) You can check it out at designerbabiesbook.com. So if you're feeling a little bit bogged down by the negative news and media, this can help relieve some of the tension and reading these poems to each other can be extremely fun and silly. We've done it with our families. But also, if you dig audiobooks, I really put my heart and passion and hard work into this one. Here's what Dr. Srini Pillay, Harvard neuroscientist and past guest of the Fat Burning Man Show, says about Designer Babies, my new book. Abel James shares his playful and satirical side through remarkable poems that make you laugh out loud. It's as if you're reading a limerick while also feeling like you might just have entered the mind of a brilliant commentator on society and life. These poems feel like a tease or a tickle from someone you love. If you want to feel loved or smarter or laugh a little harder, get this book. So be sure to pick up your copy of my new book, Designer Babies Still Gets Gabies, over at Designer Babies Book. I really appreciate your support. And here's a fun fact about today's episode of the show. Carl, the guest of of this week's show, was one of the very first people I sent my new book to because he's one of the dudes who just gets it. All right, on to the show with Carl Swanson. In this interview, we're chatting about how to reclaim your health after five heart attacks, food and service entrepreneurship in Austin, Texas, the Ham Jam, a community food and music-based get-together, why we should embrace our weirdness, Carl's secret to the best cheesecake in the world, and I can vouch for this, and tons more. All right, let's hang with Carl. All right, folks, Mr. Carl Swanson is a former CNN host, hot dog cart entrepreneur, heart attack survivor, rabble rouser, and professional cheesecake maker. He's also a long-lost friend from old Austin. Carl, thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, absolutely my pleasure, dude. I'm like 
grinning ear to ear. It's so good to see you and, and, and to be able to interact with you again. Me too. It's It's been far too long, but obviously we're in quite different places. I'm up here in the Rockies. You're in Mexico now, but let's just start with the fact that you're still alive because as I understand, you've had five heart attacks now, um, but you've definitely, I mean, you look as good as I've ever seen you for sure. So c- catch us up. Let, let us know how you're doing. I'm doing great. I, uh, I had a triple bypass in November, a couple, like three years ago. And uh, this is really weird, dude. I was in a, a, a large blue retail outlet. I don't want to endorse anybody from Benson, Arkansas, but I, I was back in the shoe section, right? And all of a sudden, I was like, God, yikes, you know, I'm, I'm having a pretty good one here. So uh, I, I thought about it. And I said, man, there's no way in the world I'm going to die in the shoe department at Walmart looking up at a bunch of people's nose hair and grackles up on the rafters. Oh, crackles. Yeah. Sound like car alarms, those things. <laughs> so uh, I grabbed a cart and I used it as a walker. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to go outside. And if I if I drop dead, the last thing I can look at is the sky and not, not the rafters. Yeah. So I got outside, I called 911 and they came pick me up. I was standing there when the ambulance came and they were like, who called? And I was like, me. And they go, what are you standing up for? Well, I was going to walk over and get in. So anyway, I get in and go to the hospital. Turns out, yeah, pretty good heart attack. So they say, we're going to give you a triple bypass. And that was no problem. Um, The one thing I did tell my doctor, though, is... I, I've had this hummingbird deal in my life and the weird story, but I, the first tattoo I got was a hummingbird from the Nazca hmm. uh, lines and yeah. I had right down here in the middle of my chest. And I told him, I said, look, <laughs> I said, after this surgery, it better look the same as it did before. I said, cause you can cut and go in from the side or something, but I don't want you messing that up. But, um, and it actually worked out, dude. There's just a little tiny glitch in the line. No way. But, yeah. But they, they had my heart stop for four and a half hours, yada, yada, yada. So oh, I'm in the recovery room, and uh, I'm talking to my nurse because I'm obviously not dead, and she looks pretty good. So we're going back and forth, and she goes, are you from the valley? Because this was down in Brownsville. Yeah. And I said, uh no, I, I just moved back down here from Austin. She goes, oh, well, we used to go to Austin every week. I said, what'd you do? She goes, oh, a friend of mine had a bar up there. And I said, oh, what was the bar? And she goes, the, the Apple Bar. And that was right down the street from where I had the hot dog cart. And so I said, yeah, right next to the Onion, the pizza place, right? And she's like, yeah. I said, well, you know the hot dog cart down on the corner? And she goes, yeah. I said, well, that was my hot dog card. <laughs> joking me. Well, I see there every weekend. And I was like, yeah, you know, we kind of look familiar. <laughs> so uh, they, they take me out of the room, right? You know, the ICU and bring me to my room. And they're, they're like, well, take it easy. But as soon as you feel like it, get up and walk around, right? So they leave the room. I was, I was like, Meh. so I got out of bed about four and a half hours, five hours after the surgery. And I was walking down the hallway. And the 
nurse at the nurse's station, what are you doing? I said, you told me to get up and walk. I said, so that's what I'm doing. She was like, not today. We thought, <laughs> but I don't know. It, it was, it was a pretty cool experience and a, a small world deal. So that when I'm getting discharged from the hospital, the doctor tells me, okay, look, you have to sleep sitting up in a chair for at least a month because we split you open and yada, yada, yada. Don't pick your arms up over your head. Don't pick up anything over five pounds for at least two and a half or three months and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And uh, three weeks later, I was dragging a 65-pound suitcase through the airport in Mexico City. And I thought I was having another heart attack. I was like, oh, my God, I can't breathe. And then I was like, yeah, you're at 7,800 feet, dummy. Jeez. Cool. So that was it. Three weeks after I had open-heart surgery, I moved to Mexico. You've always struck me, Carl, as someone who creates your own destiny. <laughs> and uh... And I think that's that seems to be a, a really rare thing, um, no matter what timeline you're living in. You know, I want to say that it's even becoming uh, more rare these days in some ways. You know, um, tell us about that. Like, how, how are you living your life? Why did you decide to live? I just, I don't know. Um, I... I I've just always done what I wanted to do. When I moved down to Mexico, everybody said, oh my God, you're so brave, blah, blah. And I was like, I packed a suitcase and get on, got on a plane. How yeah. is that brave? You know, if you want to do something, you know, just do it. I decided to move to Mexico, so I just packed my suitcase and came down here. I was doing really well working at Dell and, uh, some guy started cussing at me on the phone, and I was like, yeah, you know what? Let me show you how to cuss somebody out. So <laughs> went ahead and gave him a couple pointers, kicked him over to Michael Dell's personal extension, <laughs> and uh, walked out, grabbed my bun coffee maker and walked out, and I went out and bought a hot dog cart. Wow. I didn't realize that it was right after working at Dell that you did that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is it because you didn't want to work for the machine anymore? Um, I'm a horrible employee, but I'm a really good boss. Hmm. So I always figured it was better to just work for myself. And that way I get along so well with my employer that it's just, you know, I mean, I've had real jobs. I'm a drilling fluids engineer. I went from parking cars to drilling oil wells wow. and gas wells in Texas, which is pretty cool. <laughs> so for people who are listening, the way that Carl and I met was just a f literally a few days before everything got burned down in Austin. He was uh, driving. You were driving a cab at the time. And shortly thereafter, you, you bought your own uh, SUV, right? And you were driving us around that way. But anyway, I would see you a few times a week because I'd be playing gigs and shows and going back and forth from there and, and especially going out, being picked up late at night. And so I saw you more than some of my best friends in Austin. And so I, I really love that we got to know each other that way. But I've got to say, at the very beginning, especially, it's, you, were, you had so many stories from so many different places. And I'm just like, is this guy for real or is he just making all of this stuff up? Because I'm like, how can someone live in all these places, experience all these different lifetimes and learn all these different things? Um, but what it really was is you were just one of the first real, true free spirits I think I ever met. 
Yeah, <laughs> dude, I, I can't explain it. I've, I've just always done that. You know, I was in English class in high school and one of the hottest girls in my class stood up and said, well, maybe Hamlet had some kind of venereal disease that was affecting his mental process. And I <laughs> I swear to God, I looked at my friend Bobby Ogliero, captain of the swim team, and said, I've had it with this. I said, I don't need to know this. And I got up and I walked down, dropped my books on the guidance counselor's desk, and walked down and joined the Army. And two weeks later, I was gone. Wow. So, um, <laughs> I think my cousin Julie said it best. She said, every time somebody said to you, hey, do you want to, you've always said yes. Because, hmm. right, look, you could die any second. Trust me. And I've been shot, car accidents, motorcycle wrecks, the whole nine yards. But so as long as you're here, you may as well experience as many things as things as you can right mm -hmm. you know i joined the army i did three years i got out of the army when i was 20 years old i couldn't even go buy a beer you know wow and i was already done three years but i don't know it's just it, it it's like if you go to a buffet right get his plate you can and take a bite of everything you know, don't. I'm just gonna have water crests and some ranch diet, ranch dressing, please. You know, I don't know. It's just, it. it I don't know. I, I've had a wonderful life. I've got to experience so many things, and I've got to interact with so many people. You know, when I had the hot dog cart, I was originally set up behind Antones, mm -hmm. and I would tell Legendary. them, I would. Yeah, I would tell the uh, musicians, look, because they load up right there by the cart. And I said, look, you know, I'm not paying, but I'm hearing your music. So as long as I'm here, come on out and you can eat for free. You know, sit down while you're loading out and get something to eat and have a, have a nice water and, you know, just chill out. So, I mean, how I know everybody from... Robert Duvall, because he used to go in there with Billy Joe Shavers and stuff, To I don't know. I've, I've fed a bunch of people. And the good thing about that, like Robert Duvall, like I'm sure when people recognize you in public and stuff, they come up and say, oh, I love your videos. Thank you so much. Yada, 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 right? But we didn't interact on like a fan to something basis. We would just sit around talking, you know, like regular people. Yeah, I remember you picked me up and you're just like, yeah, Robert Plant was back here just the other day. It turns out he was a really cool guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was funny, man. They, uh, I used to work at and, and help the people at Uchiko, right? So uh, Robert Plant was out there and he got had a couple of drinks. He said, do you have a car service? And the waitress said, oh, we got better. We have a car service. So <laughs> I never thought about that. That is very close to car, isn't it? Yeah, they, uh, so they called me, uh, hey, Carl, you want to pick up Robert Plant? Yeah, sure, I'll be there in five minutes. So he's out in front. I pull up in the uh, expedition. I get out, walk up, because he was talking to a bunch of people. And I said, yeah, Robert, I'm Carl. I'm going to be driving you. I'm right there. Do what you need to do. and Just come on over. And... So he's talking to some more people in the ballet and 
he walks over and he eats getting in the expedition. And uh, some guy comes running up and he goes, man, I hate to do this, man, but God, I love you, man. You know, thank you so much. You've done so much, man. You rock. Yeah. And Robert plants. Yeah, thanks. Closes the door. And I looked down at him. I said, God damn, I hate that. <laughs> and he goes, what do you mean? I said, man, I can't go anywhere without that happening. <laughs> and he just started busting up. I mean, I don't know. I think the first time you and I actually met, you were just walking by the cab. I had a regular in that building across from uh, your place at Burn, and you guys were just walking by, and I think I said something like, did you have a good week or something? You picked me up? I, I didn't. <laughs> you probably did. Just catcalling on the street or something, and then I hop in. Uh, then we become, I, what was it? A, a good five years, I think, you were driving me around on pretty much a, a weekly basis. Yeah, and um, had one of my cheesecakes. You made the best cheesecake I had ever tasted in my life. Tell, um, I, there's so much to talk about here, but yeah, let's go into that a little bit. Um, one thing that's that's always struck me is how different your your life path has been from other things that you've done. You just kind of bounce around from one thing to another from the outside looking in. Anyway, it looks like that. But uh, tell us about that little cheesecake enterprise and also the secret to the best tasting cheesecake. Well, um, if you want, we can go ahead and post the recipe. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, but, let's definitely uh, do that. <laughs> I was sitting there one day relaxing, and I was just kind of got a munch going, and I was like, God, oh, man, I'm, I'm hungry. What? And I was watching TV, and a Sara Lee commercial came on, and I was like, bingo, cheesecakes. You know, so... My mom and dad had given us a springform cake pan, and I walked out and I opened up, and there was everything I needed in the icebox except for sour cream. But we had yogurt, and I was like, boom. I substituted yogurt for the sour cream and a regular cheesecake, and I took a slice into the lady at the restaurant, into the restaurant I worked at. And the lady who owned it took a bite and said, "Who made this?" And I said, "I did." And she goes, "Eh, we'll sell these." The hell with Cisco, and that was it. <laughs> so I was waiting tables, and uh, I tell people, oh, by the way, don't get stuffed because for dessert we have a raspberry chocolate chip cheesecake. It was just baked last night, and it's delicious, and yada yada yada. So. I was selling the restaurant five, four or five cheesecakes a day. Wow. And then I was selling all those cheesecakes. So I, I sold it to the restaurant and get paid out. And then I was selling them and putting them on my bill and getting tipped out on them. So it was great. So <laughs> That's entrepreneurship right there. Well, one night some guy just said to me, he goes, man, he goes, why are you waiting tables? Why aren't you just selling these? And I just decided to uh, the big restaurant on South Padre Island was Blackbeard's. So I decided I took one over to Blackbeard's and Lou and KC, the owners took a bite and said, yeah, we'll sell these here. So that was it. I got all the hotels, all the restaurants on South Padre Island. I was working out at a commercial kitchen in my guest house. Out in the <laughs> and that's what I did. And during the cheesecakes, that's also when I was working at CNN. Oh, that was the same time. Yeah, interesting. Wow. 
they've uh, changed considerably over the last 10 years. So tell folks a little bit about what you did, because I think this is fascinating. Um, most people don't realize that the Internet has even been around like that long, right? It, you had something to do with the, the Clinton debates, right? Um, not the debates. Uh, <laughs> this is one of the funniest things ever. Okay, CNN had a show back in the day called Talk Back Live. And they were the first actual interactive show. We would go on to, into a chat room on CompuServe, right? Mm -hmm. And we would take comments from the chat room and post them on a banner on the Talkback Live live screen. So people in the audience, studio audience and stuff. So it was really interactive because you, they'd take comments off and the, they'd discuss it on the show and all that stuff. And... Uh, it, it's kind of funny. I, I, I look at places like, um, I don't know, a sports show or something, and they have a little comments from Bob in Omaha said, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I don't know. Dude, I was doing that in 1993. And uh, so eventually, uh, about 1997 or 1998, the show was on for eight years. And uh, <laughs> we had the first ever lot first and only live presidential interactive chat. Wow. And, uh, this is back in the day when there was 23 million people on the internet in the United States. Huh. You know, and uh, <laughs> anyway, it turned into this kind of interesting deal. Um, somebody who worked at CNN headquarters, I was working remotely out of my house over the computer, right? I was one of the moderators of the chat with Bill Clinton. So a friend of mine had mistakenly given a voice to an imposter president, Bill Clinton. So both of them had a deal there, right? <laughs> so, uh, and there was like 18,000 people in the chat room and it was wow. a big deal back then. And uh, the guy said, uh, somebody asked a question, what would you like to see the internet used more for? And the fake Bill Clinton made some inappropriate comments. <laughs> uh, you sure about, it was the fake one? <laughs> well, yeah, because the first part of what he said was really off the hook. And the other one was kind of like related to watching Baywatch. But uh, <laughs> so it went out, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS was all going, no, CNN got hacked. Well, we didn't because CNN didn't run the uh, the web server. There was a company that we used for that, hmm. and they got all ticked off, and they said, we did not get hacked. So I fell on the sword. I didn't want my friend who made the mistake to get fired because I already had another job, right? So I said, well, I did it. I went ahead and voiced that person, and that was my mistake. And uh, as a matter of fact, about three years ago, there was a web page up with the transcript of the conversation from the wow. chat page. Yeah, it was pretty funny. That's crazy. So another another part of the entrepreneurship or kind of creating your own destiny piece of this is that um, when you had the hot dog cart and then also when you had uh, the SUV, you didn't charge. <laughs> Right? Like, how, how does that work, that you can start businesses where you don't charge people? Okay, look, this was the deal with the hot dog cart. 
for the first three years, I charged people three bucks for a hot dog. But I told them if they didn't like it or didn't think it was worth it, I'd give them their money back. And I was also kind of the hot dog Nazi because I had a hot relish that I made. Yeah. And I'll put that recipe up on your, your webpage too. And uh, I put it on all the hot dogs, right? So I decided after three years, I'd have a customer appreciation night, but it turned out to be one of the coldest nights in January. And I only saw about probably 50 or 60 of my regulars. So I did it the next weekend to try and get them the most and it rained. But, and at the third weekend, the end of the night, I was counting my money and I was, I was like, man, I'm still doing okay. And what I would tell people when they'd ask me how much is a hot dog, I said, they're not free. I do not work for tips. You pay me what you honestly think it's worth. Whatever that is, I'm fine with that. And, uh, it was kind of nice, but it was kind of creepy in a way, right? Because it, <laughs> It's a little it's, creepy, yeah. Well, it's a simple statement, right? You know, I pay me what you think it's worth, right? But And, and I also kept all my money in a jar on top of the cart and I didn't because I didn't want to wash my hands 300 times a night. Mm -hmm. I let people pay whatever they want and make their own change and everything. And I don't know, it was... It was a little bit sad that people like, okay, look, I, I put in $10 and I took out, you know, six. So I gave you, I'm like, dude, relax. Cause I tell people, look, if you have to rip off the hot dog guy, you got bigger problems than I deal with. And I think if you give people the opportunity to do the right thing, that they'll do it 99% of the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. If somebody didn't pay for a hot dog or something, the next guy would. So it didn't really make that much difference to me. Yeah. That's, um, it's gutsy, you know, in, in, in a lot of different ways. And I think it, um, it doesn't necessarily pay off right away, but eventually it does. It's a, it's a whole different way of thinking about the world, right? It's like, it's my hot dog cart. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> well, like when I first set it up, I never told anybody, I never asked anybody, do you want a hot dog? I mean, it was a hot dog cart. There were hot dog buns. It was a big light. I figured they could probably figure out what's going on here, right? So if I made eye contact with people walking by, I just said, hey, man, do you have a good week? Yeah, cool. Have a good night. Have fun. People look at me and they'd, they'd go by and pretty soon we just, you know, hey, what do you got? You know, somebody would stop. But I never said, do you want a hot dog? Yeah. Well, people don't talk to each other anymore. You know, I'm sure that's why I originally got into your cab because like I was used to being picked up from the airport or something and just like cabbie never says anything to you. You never talk to them or whatever. And I think Uber has kind of become that too, you know, like all these ride sharing things. One of my favorite things about hopping into the um, SUV with you is that <laughs> I'm getting in with a friend every time and like it should feel like that. Like I'm putting my life in your hands, right? Like any of your regulars were, I guess they were when you're, they were eating your hot dogs too, <laughs> but, but certainly when we're being driven around, I, I, you know, I'm serious. It's true. And the cheesecakes. And I took all that into consideration first and foremost, man. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a very, it's a human, it's still transactional, I guess, but it's a very human transaction. Right. And it's still entrepreneurial, but not typically so. Right. Well, Look, this is one thing I found out, and um, 
everybody that you ever meet and interact with has something to teach you, right? If you let them, if you're open enough to understand what they're doing. And uh, I might get a little verklempt, but I had a, uh, a regular at the hot dog cart. See, I told the homeless people, look, I'll go ahead and feed you because apparently crack dealers don't take quarters because they were always trying to, hey, man, I got four dollars and quarters. Can I take four bucks out of the tip jar? And I'd be like, whatever. You know, I guess they don't have to do laundry or whatever. <laughs> so uh, I had this one guy and I used to call him Stinky because he, he was a nice guy, but he got a little ripe. Yeah. So what I told the homeless people basically was this. You can have free hot dogs, I'll give you ice water, but you can't bug anybody on this block. You can't go to Lubaka Street Bar and bug people. You can't stand out in front of Antons. And if I hear that you are, you don't get anything else, which was kind of cool because actually 99% of them respected it, right? So mm -hmm. one day I was sitting there and this Stinky came up and going by, I said, hey, Stinky, how you doing? And he turned around and he looked at me and said, you know, I have a name. And uh, I never felt like a bigger jackass. So I said to him, I said, what's your name? He goes, Donald. I said, Donald, I'm Carl Swanson. We're still good friends till now. Wow. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, it was just kind of weird because you figure you're not going to learn a lot from homeless people other than how to come up with a boosted GPS or whatever, right? Yeah. And the way he just turned around. And he actually, I used to tell him and his friend, they, had a, they used to call him 50 cents. <laughs> so I told him, I said, look, I said, between you and your buddy Mike, you're making enough money that you could, at that time, rent a two-bedroom apartment you don't have to be homeless mm -hmm. you can do the exact same thing but go home to an apartment and keep your beer cold in the icebox and they eventually actually went and did that no way yeah they, they were like we because i said on a good night how much money do you make it goes on a good night i can make over 100 bucks i said what do you make on a bad night and he goes, eh, 40 or 50 bucks. And I said, well, dude, between you and Mike, you're making 3,600 bucks a month. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I said, there's no way in the world you can drink that much beer. I said, why don't you rent an apartment, keep doing exactly what you're doing. Wow. And they actually ended up doing that. That's so cool. Back in the day when you can afford to live in Austin. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that place changed. I, one night I was driving... Uh, Will Wynn, and I think it was Wendy Davis in the cab. And Will Wynn and I get along fine. But the the changes were beginning in Austin. And he said, boy, Austin's going to be a beautiful city, or a great city. And I said, man, it's going to be a horrible place to live. I said, Austin is a perfect great town it doesn't need to be a city totally. i said it doesn't need to be seattle or portland or denver or baltimore or chicago or philadelphia or st petersburg or los angeles san diego no place it needs to be austin and uh that 
when I first got to Austin, I thought I'm going to live here for the rest of my life. Yeah, me and too. When I, I left Austin, I just could not believe what had happened to that town in that short a period of time. Was it like 2014, 2015? Or when did you leave Austin itself? Uh, gosh, it was so long ago. Uh, <laughs> it was early 2014 or uh, mm -hmm. late 2013. Okay. Yeah. I just one night, I just said, that's it, man. Another deal. Packed all my stuff up in my expedition and headed down to South Padre Island. How many people do that, though? You know, like, um, I, I chose Austin because it was such a great city. I didn't, like, get a job there and then go to Austin. It was like, I was shopping around. I was I, I went to Boulder and I went to San Diego and went to Austin. It was like, Austin's got the music scene right now. You know, it was, it was this is 2008, right after Katrina happened. A lot of New Orleans musicians came. I was playing sax with a bunch of just like New Orleans groups and stuff. It was a, it was a cool time. But by the time, you know, 2013, 2014 came around, more than half the places where we played shows had, had turned into parking lots or luxury hotels or, or something else that like no one who lived there could ever afford or want to go to. You know what I mean? I, I went on a tour of the city hall one time and they took us into the meeting room, right? They were talking this, that, and the other thing. And then the lady giving the tour pointed up at the light fixtures and they're copper and there's six of them in the room. They cost $18,000 a piece. And everybody's like, oh, they're so pretty. And I said, who in the hell in their right minds would spend $18,000 for a light fixture in a public meeting room? Right. And the lady goes, well, they look like clouds or bats. <laughs> I said, they look like $18,000 worth of crap. <laughs> And and I just, I, I just, I can't believe, I, Toby Fertrell, right, was the city manager. And I think it was right about the time that you were there, right? Yeah. And she's the one who decided, I want South Congress to look like trendy California style shops. And I offered to drive her in the cab for free to California, because if that's where she wanted to live, I'd be more than happy to take her out there. Yeah. And uh, when when she retired, she was a city manager. When she retired, her severance package was five hundred and seventy-one thousand oh dollars for a city manager. Okay, her pension is eighteen thousand dollars a month. One light fixture a month. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she could light up the whole city. And it's just, I don't know, all the, all the horror movies like Blade Runner that everybody loves is this dystopian future where everybody lives and these stacked on each other. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Yeah. The cities are having competitions to see how many people that they can get there to move and how many Amazons they can get there and how many Dells they can get there and how many other things like that. But not, not how many good people, not how many communities, you know what well, I mean? It's, there, is no, there is no sense of community anymore in the United States. There was 
You know, when I moved, that's why I moved there. You were my community and, and all the, the people we knew we could afford to live there and, and do art or work jobs that we wanted to. We didn't have to be slaves to some gigantic silicon machine, which is kind of what it turned into. Well, OK, look, you know, the 360 tower. Yeah. I used to drive four people from there and two of them lived on the same floor and none of them even knew each other. Wow. Yeah, I mean that's exactly what happened. Well, because like no one can, no one who used to live there can afford to live there anymore. Like the place that burned down where you where you first picked me up or dropped me off that that first time way back. Um, I I eventually with Allison moved back to Austin just for a year. I think it was in 2016 or maybe it was 2017. And um, the place that we lived, yeah, maybe it was a little nicer, but it was about the same square footage. And it didn't even have as many walls. And it cost three and a half times more than I was paying. Just like a couple, it's five years before or something like that. It's seven years before. And, um, and, and so what that did is it made it so like the non-corporate people couldn't really create a culture anymore. They had to move somewhere else, which broke up that whole thing. And, and you know, it doesn't sound like something that would usually belong on on this podcast necessarily. But I think... What got kicked out was these bring your own food or bring your own cheesecake, bring your own salad, bring your own guitar, bring your own whatever little parties where 20, 30, 40, 50 people in Austin would all get together, share food that they made. No one would charge anything or maybe you drop five bucks in if someone, you know, got the the keg or whatever. But that was why I moved there. And within less than five years, that was gone. And it was very, remember the ham jam, the music ham jam? <laughs> so the ham jam for people who are listening was, was a community-based thing where basically this, this one dude in Austin who had done quite well for himself had this big house with this wraparound porch and multiple levels. And he'd cook up a few hams and just invite musicians to come jam for hours. And, and I went to that a whole bunch of times. And then, uh, that kind of community food music based thing i couldn't find it anymore pretty much after you left around around 2013 2014 leanne atherton is a musician in austin and she still has barn dances at her place cool and yeah which are really cool man i'll tell you what the first time i walked into her place right i had like a really bizarre like almost a lucid dream flashback type deal right she had a, a barn and just a little stage in her backyard and you know a regular size lot i guess or maybe a lot and a half right and i walked into her barn and i looked up in the back corner and it was almost an exact replica of the garage of the cottage that i lived in when i was a kid Connecticut. We used to go to the beach every summer and live in a, a cottage in Madison, Connecticut. And it was like the the Pennzoil can and the <laughs> you know, funnel and everything. And I looked and I was like, damn, you know, it, it was kind of weird. But see, this is a deal, right? People have to have a common cultural association to get along. And, and, and people are related to the best. They want to associate with the best, and they do that in everything. Oh, 
the band I go to, they're the best. And oh, my BMW, it's the best. And my apartment building is the best. And my high school was the best. And I went to the best college. And that's cool. And that's just human nature, right? But that's one of the things that, okay, it's like religion. A lot of people make fun of religions and stuff, right? But it gives people from disparate cultural and ethnic backgrounds something to associate. It's common cultural association, right? So people from, like I said, with nothing in common, they can all go to church and, you know, maybe for that time, at least in church, you know, these are all our brothers, right? Yeah. One of the things that I, I learned when I was working at CNN, we had the Rodney King riots, right? Yeah. Okay, 57 people got killed in those riots. And, you know, it was blacks fighting Asians, Hispanics, and whites, right? And, you know, I, I don't think people realize how violent that really was. But a couple months later, there was whites, blacks, Hispanics, and Asians all sitting together watching a Lakers game. And they were all fans because they had, oh, he's a Laker fan, right? If two guys walked into a bar and one had on a Dallas t-shirt and the other had on a Broncos t-shirt, there'd be a fight. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But if two guys just started talking and said, man, I love the game of football. Yeah, yeah. me too. Right. It, that way you can say, well, I like Denver. Well, I, I like Dallas without hating each other. Mm -hmm. When I worked at Dell, one of the reasons that I did so well is uh, I got there an hour early every single day. I got there at 6 a.m. and I read newspapers from Denver to Seattle to Chicago, Trenton, New Jersey, all that stuff, front page, whatever. So I'd get a phone call and, you know, where are you from? Oh, I'm from New Jersey. Where? Trenton. Oh, I heard your mayor's son got arrested this morning. <laughs> And you go from being just some voiceless jackass in Texas, oh, it's like somebody in Texas, to a homeboy. So that was the way. One of the reasons I did so well at Dell is because instead of just talking to somebody on the phone, I was talking to a homie. We had something in, in, in common. So the thing that, that, it bothers me. And one of the reasons I left the country is that Americans don't have a common cultural association as Americans anymore. Mm. Okay. And people are breaking down into individuals. Everybody's got their glasses. They drive around in blacked out cars. They've got their earbuds in their hoodies up. Right. And predictably human beings, when they are, uh, it's kind of weird. The same people who do that are the same people, you know, complain about people being in solitary confinement in prison, but they live in solitary confinement. And what happens is the predictable outcome of human nature when put in that kind of situation is violence. We get to the point where we're scared of everything. And when people are scared, they react violently to them. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, Americans all the time about everything and, and, and the, the thing that really kind of ticks me off is that it's mostly done by establishment media you know they promote all social narratives that pit people against each other right 
And the thing that's so aggravating is it's it's incredibly destructive to do that. But it's also incredibly easy to give people something, you know, to a, a common cultural association so that they people get along. Ham jam. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> right? But and, and that's what's aggravating for me. When I go back to the United States to recharge my visa every six months, I go there for two days and stay at my friend's house. It's toxic right now. It's toxic. I mean, I'm I'm sure you've seen a lot of things, but in, in my lifetime, I'm not sure I've ever seen a, a culture so toxic as America is right now. You know what? Uh, I, I don't think the culture is toxic. I think people are having a re- an allergic reaction to it. <laughs> That's yeah. That may be true. I think you're right. Like people aren't doing it on purpose. It's but it is happening. Right. Right. And it, to me moving everybody into cities, putting stacked on top of each other, making sure nobody gets along or whatever. That's what they do in like dystopian totally police states, basically. Well, you guys are just fighting, so we're going to have to be, take care of you and protect you from yourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, people might think I'm crazy, but that's what I see progressing. I'm 64 years old, and the American that I was born into and grew up in was radically different. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. as late as 2000, people could disagree without hating each other. That's true. You know? And uh, one thing I used to always say on CNN when I was in there was like, look, the way that you discuss things with people without getting mad is saying that we both want to achieve the same mm-hmm. That's right. We all want better schools, better jobs, safer, cleaner air, all that stuff. We just disagree on getting there. Mm-hmm. But if you focus on the point that you share, that you, you all want to have the same outcome, it's easier to disagree without hating each other. And they pretty much deliberately remove that yep. from the discourse. Well, and even at, at this point on the internet, puffing up both extreme sides, even though that's not actual people, it's it's AI and bots that are driving the, like the idea that I brought this up on the show before, people eating paleo or keto or vegan or whatever you want to call it. It's like, yeah, there are dif- differences between how you eat, but like, number one, who cares? <laughs> and number two, you know, like 80% of what we're talking about here, if you're doing it right, is going to be the same thing. You're you're all health nuts who care about health. Let's agree about that, you know, because we're a minority. We're a fluke. Like, we need to band together. Well, uh, when I was selling cheesecakes at the restaurant before I started doing them deals, I'd tell people we have cheesecake. And they'd, Do you have diet cheesecake? And I'd say, oh, as a matter of fact, it's excellent. I said, it tastes exactly like the regular cheesecake and has a third of the calories. <laughs> Really? And I'd say, I promise it tastes exactly. And if not, it's free. And they go, okay, no problem. <laughs> so I go <laughs> back and I'd cut a real thin slice off yeah. of a slice of cheesecake. And I'd go out and say, here's your diet cheesecake. And they'd look at me and go, well, that's not diet. And I said, well, that's one size. That's the other. That's diet. Yeah. And the other thing I used to always tell people is, you know, you eat with, uh, uh, nobody dies healthy. You may as well die happy. <laughs> you know well let's talk about i remember um actually in fact i don't go on social media 
very often, but when I do, I kind of look up for my old friends and see how they're doing. And that's how we reconnected. And, and one of the things you posted about was about how I believe the doctors told you that you were going to lose all your toes. have to get them all chopped off, right? Well, yeah. Well, no, they said I had diabetes. Yeah. And okay. I've got a bunch of friends with diabetes and they're like, no more sandals for them because they just fall off type deal. And they do. That was one of the, the biggest thing I'm um, worried about is going blind. Yeah. Right? I, I've gone through so many things and I'm still alive. Apparently, it's going to take pretty much an act of God to kill me, right? Yeah. Not that he has to try, but... <laughs> So I figured if I'm going to be around for a little bit longer, I would rather not have doctors chopping my toes and fingers and, oh, it's just below the knee. I was like, oh, great. I can be a pirate on Halloween. <laughs> so I just I stopped eating carbohydrates, you know, and uh, I, I don't know. It, it wasn't that difficult. Hmm. See, this was like how long ago, a year ago or something? No. Oh, about six months ago. Six months ago? But my hemoglobin went from six point, yeah, it went from 6.9 to 6.1. My doctor at the VA said, you don't even have to take metformin anymore. You're pre-diabetic, but you don't have diabetes. So wow. uh, I'm still ugly, but I take up a lot less room. Yeah, how uh, much have you lost? <laughs> uh, I'm at about 200 pounds right now, and I was about 270 when I moved down here. Wow. I went from a 44-inch waist to a 32-inch waist. Wow. That's that's so crazy. Uh, you must feel a lot different. Yeah. I, I, my, <laughs> I worked all those years as a valet. And when you're a valet parker, you use your left leg to get in and out of cars. So yeah. my left knee is shot. Really? So. From the valet? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I uh, ran the biggest valet parking service in Denver, Colorado. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, I was bartending. Somebody said, hey, can you help me tonight? I'm parking cars. And I was like, sure. And I went over and I did that. And I was like, I'm not bartending anymore. <laughs> it was great. It, I got to drive. Uh, Lyle Alzado had a, a Countach. Wow. He was like the first 50 people in the United States had a Countach and he came in and I said, man, you know, I'm going to take it down. <laughs> Have you been to Denver? Oh yeah. Yeah. We live like an hour from Denver now. Right. Well, Cherry Creek drive, right? Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful, long, flat, straight racetrack. And uh, <laughs> I said, you know, I'm going to take it down to your restaurant and back. He goes, go ahead. So I got to drive Lamborghini Countaches. I, well, I mean, it was great. It was, it was unbelievably uh, a wonderful deal. Worth it for the bum knee. But let's talk about the uh, the carbs because a lot of people um, might not say that it was easy to cut to cut out carbs. Just kind of do it six months ago and then lose what seventy plus pounds or whatever. But but when people do decide to do that, that is kind of what often happens. They start to lose a lot of weight. See, that's what we were talking about. Okay, people get into these little social narratives. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's hard to lose weight. You have to go on a diet and you have to talk to somebody and there has to be a counselor, blah, 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 blah. All you have to do is decide to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm 
-hmm. I decided to stop. And it's like anything else. Anytime you make a fundamental change in your life, you think about it, you try and talk yourself out of it for as long as you can. And then one day you finally just say, well, I'm the hell with it. I'm just going to go do it. And when you make a decision to do that from that point on, it's like when I quit smoking cigarettes, right? I didn't, and, and like with the carbs, instead of saying, oh, I can't eat sugar anymore, or I can't eat cookies, or I can't eat chocolate, I just say I don't eat sugar anymore. Yeah. I don't drink coffee, yeah. Coca-Cola. That really I helps. I drink water and coffee, you know? That and, sounds familiar. Uh, well, but see, it, 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 it's how you, the words that you use to describe events to yourself have incredible power and incredible meaning, Right. And when you make a decision in your mind, I'm not going to do, you know, um, you know, I'm not going to drink alcohol or I'm not going to smoke tobacco anymore. Once you make that decision, you don't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I have a real problem with 12 step programs because the fact is that you, a, a person is powerful over everything in their lives. They have a decision to make. And they have the ultimate authority. In a 12-step program, oh, you can't hang out with your old friends or you can't go to a bar. You got you to gotta apologize and grovel and you have to self-identify as an alcoholic or a cokehead or something. And to me, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, it can be dangerous, too, if you're, if you're assigning that addiction to one thing and then saying, I've conquered it, while you're secretly addicted to something else. So a lot of people, for example, quit tobacco, right? And then they go straight to sugar or straight to something else. With that, but they're like, I've conquered my addiction. No, you've just moved it. Yeah, it, it's like the old AA meetings, man. Everybody's in there chain smoking right. marbles in Chesterfield. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, great. Shut up. Hey, you got another book? You know, it was just like... You guys are crazy you know once you decide to do something you do it and once you decide to make a change in your life it happens because you know one of the things that i've been struck with in my life out of my own experience and seeing all my friends and everything is the power of the human mind yeah. okay that you can this is why i try and everybody says you know this is my philosophy. The, the future never gets here, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's like my date with uh, uh, Cheryl Crow. Uh, it's going to happen soon, right? And the past has already happened, right? And if you're honest about the past, it is what it is. And the only thing you can do to change the past is how you look at it. Okay? You can look, oh, it was a horrible event, or you can say, well, at least blah, blah, blah. You know, it can either be positive or negative, and you define that, okay? Mm -hmm. But the moment that you're in is your life, right? Mm -hmm. Because it, it, it's the only thing you ever really own is the moment that you're in right now. And you can decide to be positive, you can decide to be negative, you can decide to be angry or mellow or whatever you want to do. And, and that's what I try and keep focusing on in my life, you know? Yeah. Well, one thing I'm realizing is, is that uh, if there is kind of a running theme to your different careers and what you've done, it's, it's that you've had the freedom to have conversations with cool people oh, pretty man. much all day, all night, whenever you want. And how, how many people get that today? <laughs> you know, they really don't. You know, I gotta be honest with you, man. I have met 
and actually had discussions with probably well over a hundred thousand people in my life. Sure. And, uh, it's just, my aunt Josephine told me, she goes, the thing I like about you is your give a crap doesn't work. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, you will say whatever you want and you don't give a crap if anybody likes it or not. You're, you're going to say, and uh, I've never been afraid to walk up to anybody and start talking to him. That's how I met Robert Duvall. I gave him a hot dog. Yeah. You know, uh, you just talk to people. Uh, Sandra Bullock uh, was dating Bob Schneider for a while, and she walked around. I didn't know that. That's that's a really funny combo. <laughs> going <laughs> going into uh, Antone's, and she goes, oh, you must be the hot dog guy. And I said, oh, you must be that actress chick. We just got along great, man. It was just... Well, she had her own little cupcake thing going in Austin for a while, I think. Right? She had Bess, and it was an unbelievably good restaurant. I went I there a few times. Yeah, it was good. Four five times, and, it, you know, it, it wasn't just good. I was always impressed. I was like, man, this absolutely always felt like it was worth going down there. Yeah. But I don't know. That, the hot dog cart, I think, was the best experience I had in my life. Is that right? Well, yeah, because like I said, I got to meet so many people. I had a guy who goes, uh, he was standing in line and he goes, how much is your hot dog? And I said, it's $3. That's when I was selling them. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, I only have a dollar. I said, I don't worry about it. Here, throw, give me a dollar and I'll pay me the $2 next time you see me. And he goes, well, I live in Austria. And I said, well, I live in Austin, so I win. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> He goes, why would you do And I just talked to him. I said, look, dude, if you give people the opportunity to do the right thing, try and chill out, you know, it's not all that important. We had a discussion. So two years later, I look up in line and the guy's there. We make eye contact. He goes, do you remember me? I said, yeah, you're that guy from Austria who owes me two bucks. <laughs> and I, <laughs> he was like, whoa. But he came up and he actually said, dude, I want to thank you. And I said, for what? And he goes, last time I was here, my business was doing crappy. I had a bad attitude. My wife and I were thinking about getting a divorce. My parents wouldn't talk to me. And he goes, you talked to me for 15 minutes, man. And he goes, now my wife and I get along. My business is kicking ass. My parents wow. think I'm their long lost son. And he goes, it's just I've listened to you and, and how you looked at things. And I tried to adopt a little bit of that into my life. And I thought that was cool that he came back and said, thanks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how it works. That's how it works. It's a ripple, man. And you'd never know. You, 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 like if you just smile at somebody, how are you doing? Do you have a good week? And they walk around a corner, they might smile and somebody else see them smile, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, I wonder what they're happy about. Yeah. And it, it, it has an effect, you know. Everything that you do can have a really profound effect on a lot of other people. Yes. And, and can be positive or negative, but if you do it in a positive way, I think it's a cool deal. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that I'm so upset about what's going on. I'm seeing, you know, humanity torn apart and pitted against each other. And it'd be so much easier just to have everybody getting along. It would. It'd be so much easier. And it's easier. Yeah. <laughs> you generate so much negative energy being angry all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, <laughs> why? Yeah. Looking at your life, you've got plenty to be angry about if you chose to be angry about it. 
I choose to be sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a lot more fun. But a lot of times in people's lives, right, when they get really anxious, I said, I told this to a lot of people in the cab. I'd pick somebody up and go, hey, man, you're having a day. What's up? Oh, man, my boyfriend, you, my dog, ate my cat, and this, that, and the other thing. And I used to tell, this is a, the simplest analogy I can give you, man. Say you have to be somewhere in 25 minutes, and it's a 20-minute drive, and you can't find your car keys. And you're like, oh, my God, where the hell are my car keys? And you're running around, and you're looking under stuff, and you're freaking out and checking your pants for the 10th time and looking in the bathroom behind the toilet and the kitty litter box. And then you take a second, and you go, oh, they're on the kitchen table, right? <laughs> yeah. And the minute you walk in the kitchen and you pick up those car keys – all the negative energy, all the anxiety, everything that you were feeling just before that is like, poof, yeah, gone like Kaiser Sosa, man, just poof, <laughs> off into the wind. And then you go out the door, you get in your car, and everything's cool, right? Yep. And I, I think it, uh, a lot of times, I, I think people like you, I think you helped a lot of people remember where they put the car keys, hmm. right? I hope so. Yeah, because you've changed a lot of people's lives, dude, with the whole paleo deal and the whole nine yards. You decided that you were going to do that. You decided that you were going to have a beneficial effect. And I know because I was driving you around at the time that you didn't do it for the money. Because one day you said, damn, I just found out that I could have made like three million bucks last year. You know, And I was like, yeah, you're something like that. And I was like. Yeah, but you didn't, and you're still, you know, sitting next to Alice and got a nice place. You know, so I know that you didn't do it for, no. you know, to monetize or do it for the money. Do it for the meaning. Yeah. It's like, look, man, it's not hard. You can do it. Anybody can do it. Change your mindset, and you can do anything you want. And I think you've done that to a lot of people. Thanks, and not only have you benefited the people – uh, but everybody they know have been benefited too, right? I hope so. I really do. Well, I just, I see it as, as passing it forward. And you met me at a really interesting time. It was about to be the worst of my health and kind of the worst moment of my life. Like right after that fire, when I lost everything, I had to cancel all my gigs because I, I lost all my saxophones. I lost the CD I was working on. I lost all my guitars. I lost all my work stuff. I lost all my old college stuff. And I was just trying to get my life together. And State Farm wouldn't give me any of the money that they owed me and and I didn't have a mailbox because it burned down so I couldn't get any of my files and at the same time <laughs> it's like I'm like doctors are coming at me trying to medicate me with all these pharmaceuticals cuz my health is falling apart and and so having been there it's like I I don't want anyone to be there you know what I mean <laughs> having experienced that and and seeing the other side it's like getting out of it wasn't as hard as I thought it was it was just a matter of doing the right thing that's it. And that's, that's how you benefit people because you, and, and I try and do it too, but I don't have the audience that you do. But look, if you decide to do something, you can do it. Mm -hmm. Every massive change in somebody's life is because they decided to do it. Okay. And you decided to make yourself better. And in doing so, you were an example to other people. 
And they said, well, look, <laughs> look at this dude. He's from Austin. If he could do it, I could do it, right? It's like <laughs> it's like when I give out the cheesecake recipe. I tell people, look, if I can cook them, don't sweat it. It's no big deal, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's the truth. You've had a real positive impact on a lot of people's lives. And not everybody, because some people, oh, look. See, for dieting is funnier. Changing your lifestyle is funny. Well, see, this is a different. Dieting is not changing your lifestyle. Dieting is adopting a behavior that you didn't really agree with. <laughs> <laughs> That's rare. <laughs> You're like, yeah, well, you know, it's like joining the Cub Scouts. I have to go every Wednesday, right? It is, yeah. And eventually you don't go on Wednesday and that's it. And eventually you sit there on a diet and go, you know, uh, uh, I want a pizza. You know, <laughs> and, and they get off of it. But when people do a lifestyle change, when they make a decision, I don't eat pizza anymore. Mm -hmm. I order pizzas here, but I just eat the toppings. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, because like every three or four months, I'm like, pepperoni. <laughs> so I go get a pizza and I just eat the toppings because there's no carbs in the toppings. <laughs> I like your style, Carl. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Well, just see, I got a little bit of Asperger's, right? So I always look at things from a little bit different angle, right? It helps. It helps. Embrace your, your specialness. Embrace your weirdness and all the things that make you who you are. Well, look at it this way. Sometimes you can be confronted by a huge obstacle in your life, right? And you think, oh, there's no way. And then somebody will come along and change your perspective and you look back and it's just a little tiny piece of sand yeah it's just the fact that you're looking at it from a slightly different perspective you know and it, it gives you a clarity of mind you know it just it's not insurmountable you're insurmountable you can do anything you know and if you get just a little bit different perspective man it's it's a piece of cake you're so right about that and i think you've given a lot of people a different perspective today but i can't believe it we're already out of time but um i would definitely love to have you on again carl because there's so much wisdom here and uh i think america is losing sight of a lot of the really the common sense stuff or just that that slight oblique angle that you just mentioned right where you just you take a step back and you look at things again and it's like am i really living the life that i want to be or am i just doing all of this stuff and trying to keep up right right you know, you're here for X amount of time, man. You could go at any second. So you may as well, when they find your body, they all, they should think, what the hell is he laughing at? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's laughing because he didn't die in a Walmart. <laughs> That's right. The shoe section. So, Carl, um, where can people find you and, and what are you looking forward to? What are you working on? Um, well, <laughs> I'm not working on anything right Good. now. I'm working on being the only gringo in Nuevo and the Cox of Mexico where yeah. I don't have to talk politics or talk football or baseball with anybody. I'm just, I should have moved here like three minutes before I met my ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, see, this is a deal, right? I never want to met you. True. You know, where you're at today, you're meant to be here. And if you had changed anything in, the, in your life up to this point, you wouldn't be where you are today. So... If I hadn't met you, I wouldn't be here. And I do believe that. You were um, and still are a, a mentor of sorts, especially at a, a really vulnerable time in my life. And I appreciate you. I reminded you of stuff that you already knew, brother. Sure. Maybe. 
No, I'm serious, man. The important things in life can't be taught, right? They have to be learned. Yeah. And the best way to learn them is that you have to realize that you already know that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I didn't do anything. I reminded you of who you were, brother, and that's all. Right now you're doing it. Well, Carl, thank you so very much for joining us on this show. We'll have to have you on again soon. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Thank you so much. Take care. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you and Future Greens. Let me ask you something. Did you eat your veggies today? All of them? Believe it or not, fewer than 10% of adults and children in America get their recommended fruits and veggies in daily. That is absolutely atrocious. And many millions of us are suffering from disease, obesity, and ill health as a direct result. So my wife Allison and I decided to do something about it. Now you can double your intake of fruits and veggies in less than 60 seconds without the sugar or carbs. We're excited to bring you our new superfood greens powder called Future Greens to make it easy to get organic, nutrient-dense veggies in every day, no matter where you are. Future Greens is packed with vitamins, minerals, and filling prebiotic fiber from whole organic veggies, sprouts, algaes, and berries, including kale, beet, parsley, collard greens, cauliflower sprouts, broccoli sprouts, spirulina, chlorella, blueberries, raspberries, and much more. Since Future Greens is preserved, you can get your greens on even when fresh produce, salads, and smoothies are far out of reach. Future Greens makes getting nutrition easy, and it tastes great if I do say so myself. Future Greens is a smart and convenient source of nutrition for disaster preparedness, road trips, camping, athletics, and more. It travels great in the car, on the plane, or in a spaceship. Just make sure you activate artificial gravity before opening. Basically, it's like vegetables from the future. So if you're looking to increase your energy and health without the crash from caffeine or sugar, meet your new best friend, Future Greens. As a listener of Fat Burning Man, you can get a 20% discount to try it yourself right now. Just visit fatburningman.com forward slash greens to get over 20% off when you subscribe and save. You'll get our coolest new concoction from Wild Superfoods called Future Greens. Again, just head on over to fatburningman.com forward slash greens to get over 20% off your purchase. We'll see you there. Well, hey there, listener. This is Abel one more time, and I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode of The Fat-Burning Man Show. If you liked it, don't forget to hit that subscribe button wherever you might be listening to or watching this show right now. And if you have a second, please leave me a quick review for The Fat-Burning Man Show. I read every single one of them, and every time you leave a review, it gives us a little boost in the rankings, and that helps other people find this show. And if you can think of someone else who might enjoy and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or a family member. And if they're like, what is this fat-burning man thing? That's a really silly name. You could be like, you're right, but here's the deal. We've recorded over 250 episodes of the Fat-Burning Man Show with thought leaders in health from all over the world. And so far... 
We've won four awards, hitting number one in health in more than eight countries internationally. We have more than 30 million downloads already, but we're just getting started. I can't believe any of this, by the way, and, and couldn't do any of this without you. So thanks once again. But here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode of the Fat Burning Man Show for free with zero outside advertisements, no outside sponsors, and no corporate overlords. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com. We'll give you a, a second here just to type it in, fatburningman.com. And you'll get all the show notes, transcripts, and video and audio versions for all the past episodes of the Fat Burning Man Show for free. Better yet, enter your email at fatburningman.com, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll even send you a quick start guide so you can take your health into your own hands right now, along with a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up. Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now, enter your best email to get your free goodies with a bonus surprise straight to your inbox. This is Abel James signing off. Thank you so much for listening once again. And have a great week.